Welcome back. It's Howl History again. I'm Derek here with Chad. This is the Derek has a cold edition, so you're going to get my lower voice for this week. Chad, how are you doing? I don't have a cold. I think I am fighting some allergies, but just because my eyes are like itchy. But other than that, all good. That. Good, good, yeah. good. Well, the Timberwolves made some news the last couple of days. Yeah, it's kind of weird where we come out the winners on. Like, it's usually the us being, as a fan base, being like, the sky is falling, all that on Twitter after a move that our organization makes. Not uh-huh. the opposing team's fan base making those right sort of claims. Yeah, it's like, you know, we're, we kind of enter into a lot of these things expecting to be the the character from Waterboy where it's like, oh no, we suck again, you know? <laughs> it's like every time you just expect the rug to get pulled out from under us, but but not this time. The Wolves made a gigantic uh, franchise-changing offer to Tim Connolly to be the new president of basketball operations. He's coming over for a reported five-year, $40 million deal, which I think is um, less than we expected, what had been reported previously. Uh, there is a, an ownership kicker in there, which I think Doogie reported this morning is at least 1% of the franchise. So uh, that's worth many millions of dollars. So it makes sense for him. It's a financial windfall for him, a, a family and uh, legacy changing amount of money. But um, but I think in terms of looking at a franchise and thinking like there's no salary cap on the front office or on coaches, you just do what you got to do. And having an ownership group that's willing to do that, that's whether you know, no matter what you think of Connolly, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I, I think I think it's still twice what he was making in Denver. Yeah, um, you know they're a similar franchise to the Wolves, where they typically have to be pretty shrewd with their decisions in order to compete because they're not in one of the it markets and stuff. But um, but yeah, I, you know, like give you know the new ownership group, but even Glenn Taylor credit here because Glenn Taylor's always kind of been an outside the box thinker in terms of getting. I mean, he he probably overpaid for Tibbs. Yeah, but he's never been shy to pony up the money for front office yeah. personnel. So and, and he gave flip ownership. Like they're acting like it's like this is like a new thing to give Conley, you know, nationally, not mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Flip got a very similar deal for a similar position, you know, back in the day. And um I heard somebody else say something I think it was Dane Moore mentioned about like the how like the you know not that long ago when somebody first gave the, the president of basketball operations title. But I want to say that McHale was the first one of that title as well. Sure. I, I don't know for sure if that's true, but yeah. I know he's one of the original ones with that title. So it's like the Wolves have always been sort of, they're not cutting edge on a lot of other things, but on that, on the, you know, taking care of their front office people or, or investing in their front office people, they have not been shy about kind of working out very, you know, beneficial deals for those types of people, um, even if they didn't always get the right one. Yeah, I mean, Laurie came in and, you know, as has been widely publicized, he has his, his policy of getting the best talent no matter the cost. And the nice thing is, no matter how much of we've tried to act as a small market team and how many how much you can criticize Glenn over the years of making mistakes, you know, putting his foot in his mouth at, at the wrong times, I don't feel like he had to be talked into that too much because he has oh. gone out and spent on the right guys. And yeah, and the, even on players. I mean, like, look, Glenn is a lot of things. One thing he's not as cheap. Like he, this isn't the poll ads where he's afraid to spend money. He's overspent on players. He's overspent on coaches. He's overspent on front office. He, he has no problem spending money. That's never been Glenn. T- I mean, if anything, one of his problems is that he's too free. Yeah. <laughs> spending he, the money. He has spent poorly. Right. On on the Andrew Wigginses of the world or the Joe Smiths or whatever, you know, the case may be he has, you know, sometimes been too aggressive in, in uh, bringing in those kind of guys. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and, and th- I mean, look, when they were talking about adding a new Pobo guy, I was not excited because I wanted to keep Gupta and see what Gupta could do. And frankly, you know, for all of his warts and his, you know, outside of basketball life with Rosas, I think Rosas was doing an incredible job. You look back at the draft he had with the you know, outside of the Culver pick, which he had kind of snookered um, the, the next draft with Ant and, mm-hmm. and Jaden, and then some of the undrafted guys that he got like Nas and um, some of the trades he made for Vando and Beasley. And I mean, everything was like home run after home run after home run for, for Rosas and, and Gupta to whatever extent he played a part in that. I wanted to see how that worked. And by all accounts, he's a super intelligent, good, good with the cap kind of figuring out the best deals kind of guy. 
But when I started, when I saw that shortlist, we touched on it last episode. I was intrigued, and of those shortlist guys, I'm like, Conley would be number two probably on my list, and um, so I'm pretty, pretty happy with the end result that Gupta stays, and you get, you know, one of those top notch guys. Yeah, I think what we're getting most of all in this agreement and this signing is stability in the franchise, which is something that we have not had. Since Conley took over in Denver in 2013, he's had two head coaches that have lasted for a a full season, and Brian Shaw and Mike Malone. And it's been those two only, and Mike Malone for almost the entire time. In that same amount of time, the Timberwolves have not only had six people running their front office, but also six head coaches. So we've just been cycling through lead decision makers and head coaches every couple of years. And yeah, as a content creator or as somebody who gets excited for off-season storylines, like it gives you something to talk about, but it's not where you want to be. That's that's why the team's only been in the playoffs twice over the, that period of time and never in a sustainable manner. So um, bringing well, in... And the, and the gift that NBA gives you, there's always something to talk about. Like if you can, instead of talking about dysfunction at the top and mm-hmm. talk about actual play on the court, I think that's much more preferred. You know? Yeah. We've had enough of the discussion about the dysfunction at the top and what we're, right. we're going to do in our front office and who's going to be the next decision maker. So um, like you, I, I like Gupta and I think everybody likes Gupta. They like his personality. They like the way that he's kind of thought outside the box and some of his signings, some of, some of the ideas he's come up with. Um, one of the things that I've been worried about ever since Rosas was let go was that they were losing their primary talent evaluator in the front office so that even with Gupta's problem solving and his ability to manage the cap and come up with creative solutions to, uh, you know, a roster and a, a cap sheet that are right up against a luxury tax and might need more flexibility in the front court, whatever it happens to be, I don't. We had nothing to point to for him necessarily as identifying the right talent to bring in, which I think. As we looked at it, we were okay with since we had Chris Finch. You know, we were going to say Finch is going to be the guy. Like, he's going to have to be who Gupta works with to identify, is this a guy that you think could work here? Is this the type of player you want? And I, but I still think that was a a gap in our front office. And I think Rosas really held that that mantle where he was the, the talent evaluator with his scouting background. And now bringing in a guy like, like Connolly, who is a scout, he rose up through the ranks as a, you know, in a, as an intern and then in the you know front office as a in the basketball operations side and then eventually just you know became you know after Ujiri left for Toronto he got promoted in in Denver he is that talent evaluator and if you look at his warts if you look at kind of the main issues he's had it's been his cap management it's been his ability to you know kind of think creatively rather than offering you know maximum money right away you know whatever it happens to be and I it's going to put a lot of impetus on this franchise to make it enticing at least for a couple of years for Gupta to stay around with with Connolly because I think those two together are the dream team and I don't understand like I don't know what they're offering Gupta what his situation looks like I would hope that he's still on good enough terms with everybody that he's willing to stick around and and work with Connolly until he can get the lead job elsewhere and he's not you know when uh, Rosas was here there were plenty of stories that he wanted to just go to Houston to be the number two there you know and when we blocked him from doing that that's when a lot of the the issues started so um, I maybe this causes him to want to go just work for another franchise where there might be another path to advancement um, but hopefully we have a couple of years before he's he's promoted and given the lead job somewhere else yeah and I did, I don't know if this do you remember what is was his title always EVP because uh, it at least was when Rosas was let go. So it was, it, okay. yeah, yeah, because I saw it was in the the press release, and I'm like, I don't recall it being EVP. I thought it was just like VP. So I was like, did they slyly, you know, throw in a promotion? Yeah, not yet. I, they have mentioned him in the press release and whatnot as you know somebody that Connolly's going to work closely with. So hopefully, um, hopefully I mean, everything works out. Be off, uh, you know, like Connolly's the Pobo, and maybe Gupta gets promoted to general manager yeah or what, i think know. that would be appropriate yeah yep so hopefully they can keep them around because i think those two complement each other really well um and if we're looking if you do want to walk through you know Connolly's entire transaction history on basketball reference which anybody can do they're going to be pluses and minuses and decisions that were good and decisions that were bad like anybody but 
anybody that's given the chance to be with an organization for nine years and put them in a spot to be successful through multiple iterations of a roster is somebody that, like, I think we would accept that. Multiple second well, round and- playoff appearances, one Western Conference Finals, like, you just want to be in that conversation. And if injuries derail it or you just don't can't go over the hump because you're a small market, we're okay with that. But it's Minnesota. You just want to be a perennial playoff team that has consistency that year after year is, is optimistic heading into the season. Yeah, and they didn't have a lot of high picks. So, like, you know, yeah. he's done a one. bang-up job. They've had job. one lottery pick. Yeah, they, he's done a bang-up job in the draft with no elite picks. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, you know, he's... It's the perfect time because where his sweet spot seems to be is middle of the first round. And that's where the Wolves are picking this year. And so, um, and you know, like it's, it's late in the process to hire him, but yet it's not like he wasn't already doing the same job in Denver. So like he's already done the work on the players, you know, he knows, you know, he knows the type of guys that are going to be attracted to him, whether they, they fit better in Minnesota versus Denver or whatever, you know, it's the, the other nice thing is it's a very similar roster, yeah. right? Like, your best player is your center, just like in Denver. Your second best player is your your guard, which, you know, Murray and Ant are different from each other. And I think most people now probably would prefer Ant. Um, but they're in the same role. So you're yeah, not they're both be, scoring guards. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not going to be drafting. Like, also, you're not going to come in here and have a list full of guards because that's what you're trying to fill in Denver and say, oh, well, now I got to go back and look at all the forwards. They were kind I mean, they had Aaron Gordon, so they might not be looking for power forwards as much as we mm-hmm. are. But my guess is that's still towards the top of their list because they didn't really have any other glaring weaknesses. And Gordon is a big dollar guy who doesn't probably live up to his contract, even if he's a nice player for them. So like, he's probably the one guy in their starting five that they're looking to upgrade at some point, just like the wolves are with Vando. So yeah, it's possible. And it might also be that he's just very familiar with the power for market because they only acquired Gordon a year and a half ago. Right. Right. At the same time that Minnesota was starting to look for long-term power forward options, you know, a year and a half ago, we were talking about John Collins and Ben Simmons and miles Turner and what that looked like. And Aaron Gordon was, you know, at the previous trade deadline, the guy that you could that was acquirable so like he was very familiar with the market and how it's changed over the last couple of years and maybe he's stepped away from looking at the power forwards a little bit you know over the last 12 months because gordon was kind of plugged into there and they had both of the the greens jeff green and jamichael green you know to kind of back up that spot but he's going to come in he's going to take a look at the power forward spot like you said he's he has a lot of decisions to make it's going to come up pretty fast i wouldn't expect that he before 72 hours ago was necessarily trying to look at what he would do to change Minnesota's roster around you know so it's going to take some time but we only have a month until the draft and I wouldn't be surprised to see some movement around there so um, hopefully he can get his feet wet he hopefully can hit the ground running with some of the the front office staff we already have in place and he can he can work well with them identify one or two people he's going to bring with them to to round out the the executive staff and you know it Hopefully he has enough experience under his belt that his first year here isn't, you know, isn't as rough as his first year in Denver, you know, in charge in Denver was. So um, that's what we're hoping, at least that he can help us take the next step. And whether that means he's going to just hold Pat for a year and be more patient and wait for, you know, next next offseason when they have max money or if he's going to, you know, kind of if he made an agreement with Gupta and A-Rod that he's going to be more aggressive and, you know, really take a a leap forward this year is yet to be determined. But uh, I think it's. Hopefully this is the start of a long-term relationship with not only Connolly and Finch and A-Rod and Laurie, but also with us as the fans. And this is just a group that we can become very familiar with and that there isn't reason in three years to be talking about, should we be moving on from Finch as head coach? Or what's Connolly's future now that he only has two years remaining and the Timberwolves haven't made the playoffs since he started? Whatever it happens to be. If if they can just take even small steps forward and it's just, you know what, this is a successful Western Conference franchise— here we are. You know, that would be a huge step for this franchise. Yeah. And, and that you hit on the other big point for me, which was that the fact that it's, you know, he has a previous relationship with Finch when, with Finch's time in Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, from everything you read about Conley, his personality seems very similar to Finch. So my guess is they're going to get along really well. I mean, I like Finch seems like the type of guy that gets along with everyone. Um, which is great because if Conley's got a similar personality, every player to a man loved Coach Finch. So if they love Finch, it you know seems like they will also have the same sort of um, a fondness for Conley as well, which also helps build that that culture and that bond for this team. So yeah. 
already a team that's super close, which is, you know, just something you can kind of continue to build on, which is good. I mean, I, I see no negatives in it really at all. Like, so, you know, like you, you, you touched on, you know, will Gupta be a little bit disappointed? You know, maybe I, he doesn't strike me as the type of guy that's going to cause problems because he got passed over. Maybe he will look for the first exit opportunity out of here. Um, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Hopefully, you know, like they, like we t- mentioned, he could get promoted into that GM role, and that'll be enough for him to kind of feel like he's still progressing on his track. Yeah. And um, it Conley's probably a guy that's an easier personality to get along with for him than Rosas was. Um, so it should be a more fun atmosphere, even if he's not calling all the shots. It gives him a little bit of cover that he's not calling all the shots. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it's a, it's a welcome addition for him as well. Yeah, I hope that working relationship goes well. And the last point I had, just to highlight once again how long Connolly's been in that role with Denver, is he started in June of 2013, and about 10 days later, they had his first draft. And on that draft night, he traded away Costa Kufas, who just two years earlier, they had acquired in the Carmelo Anthony deal when Carmelo Anthony was traded for Denver to New York. And one year before that, he had been a member of the Minnesota Timberwolves and traded and acquired for Al Jefferson. So, like... If you think back as a Minnesota Timberwolves fan to the Al Jefferson phase, like it seems like a lifetime ago. I can't even imagine how long ago that was as not only as a fan, but as a front office executive to be looking back at like, yeah, Costa Kufis was a thing when he started. And how long has it been since we've since we've been there? Yeah, I mean, that's a name I haven't thought of in a long, long time. Right. Yeah. And not not one that I like really itching to think about again. (laughs) It didn't. Yeah, it didn't go well. No, but he moved around a bit and he, he did. Was... And for some big, big players. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. I guess I never even really thought of that context. <laughs> so that was funny. You know, just kind of nine years with Denver in that front office to, to step over and now take over for us. And hopefully it lasts long, long beyond the five years that we have him signed for. Uh, the yep. other point that I had this week that we needed to talk about before we get into uh, evaluating the central, central division over in the Eastern Conference is, uh, we have to touch on Andrew Wiggins. As much as I hate to do it, we have to at least discuss the potential and the performance that his, he, he has had in the Western Conference Finals and, and what that means not only for, for him, but also to refute some of the opinions coming out about this performance. So do you have any initial thoughts on what Andrew Wiggins has done in the playoffs? I mean, my the first thought that comes to mind is, so what? Yeah. <laughs> and it's because, look, we know Wiggins has a ton of talent. That's never, ever been the question. That's never, ever been the criticism for Andrew Wiggins. Like, he, part of why he's so annoying to follow as a fan when he's on your team is you see these glimpses where he's amazing. And you're like, why can't you do that? Even if you can't do it every night, why can't you do that more than one out of every 10 nights? Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's just, he's the biggest tease in the NBA because he does, he's an amazing talent and a mediocre player. And I still think that holds true. I mean, look, especially in the playoffs, if you're Dallas, are you really going to fret over Wiggins getting off? If you can stop Steph clay, even Jordan pool yeah. is a bigger threat. So it's the same thing, you know, it's with the criticisms, a little bit of D'Lo with the Memphis series, they put their best defender on D'Lo. They're not doing that. Andrew freaking Wiggins. <laughs> Dallas isn't, putting their best defenders on Wiggins. They're like, look, if Wiggins hurts us, so be it. We'll mm-hmm. live with that. I mean, it's not likely to happen seven games, four, even four games in a seven-game series. So I, I just – I don't think there's a lot to it. It's it's like the, the recency bias of our current, you know, media climate of every morning we have to, like, reevaluate – every trade that's ever happened for every player that's in the league, you know, and they have to like, well, was this the biggest steal of trade? You know? And then if, if the Wolves were still in the playoffs and if D'Lo had a big game, then they'd be doing the reverse, you know? And it's just, it's, I just, that part of it just gets kind of silly. Um, and you know, golden state fans, you know, they're on, they, they know the roller coaster now. I don't think there's as many of them still talking about how they won that trade. Cause they've seen, the lulls in Wiggins's performance throughout this year and last year. Um, so there might be some that are like bragging now that they think they got the better end of the deal because D'Lo had a rough playoff series. Yeah. But for the season, I still would have taken D'Lo's season over Wiggins's season personally. And 
Bevo's not surrounded by three Hall of Famers yet. Maybe two, you know, if Cat and Ant end up becoming Hall of Famers, but they're not even, neither of them are on the level of any of the Golden State guys yet in terms of their career. So I just, like, it's apples and oranges. I just, like, so he had a good game. And it was a great game. I'm not taking anything away from Wiggins. Like, I think he's a likable person. I think I liked Wiggins as a person. I, I thought he was thoughtful. I think I thought he was kind to reporters and fans, all that kind of stuff. So I'm happy that he had a moment in the playoffs. He's had a couple of them now. Um, but I, like, I don't really, I didn't watch a ton of the, the previous series. I don't really recall Wiggins doing much of note in the previous series. So it's like, yeah, he's had two decent games in this series and it's like, Oh yeah. Like he's, you know, is he a guy they're going to build around now? And it, no, they're going to no. get cup bait with him as soon as they can. Or ask him to take a pay cut. Yeah. Or like, yeah. If he's willing to come back for, you know, like a Michael Beasley deal, then yeah. Did I say Michael Beasley? Malik Beasley. Malik. <laughs> Come back on a Michael Beasley deal. Yeah. No, I'm, so. we're not going to have to talk about this very long because I agree. The funny part is to understand or to admit that it was a good trade for Golden State for some reason is equates it to having to have been a bad trade for Minnesota. Right, right. It's which a good it, trade for both teams. They, they Both teams got what they wanted out of it. Yeah, and it was not only culture. It was not just like Minnesota's a horrible franchise that couldn't get this out of Andrew Wiggins. It was the fact that Andrew Wiggins can only succeed when he's the fourth best player on the floor at, at this level. And in order for Minnesota to have gotten there, to have realized this potential Andrew Wiggins, we only had one player better than Andrew Wiggins. And yeah, at, at a time we had Jimmy Butler and we had a very good season with Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. But we still went, we, that was only two. Like you need three guys better than Andrew well, Wiggins for Andrew Wiggins only, to only show up every four nights. Not only that, it, Wiggins is still only showing up every, once every four nights. It's yeah. not like... This is just too. This is not different than a Wiggins. Right, and that's acceptable if you are the fourth best player right, on right, your team. Right. Yeah. So and my my thing is, it's like this is why I hate the. Well, he the, he's just never proven to be a winner. That's because he's never been on a team full of other winners. Right. Like, this. I mean, that's that's what they're saying about Luca right now. It's like, right. give it up. This, yeah. This concept of winner and loser is just it's just nonsense. It's look if you're on a team with three Hall of Famers. You're going to be a winner. Is yeah. Jordan Poole a winner because he's on? No, he's just on a really good team full of a lot of good players. Like, is like what Luca is doing is what's more remarkable to me. That how how far he's carried a team full of mid tier players into the play. Like he's he's the, in the final four of the NBA with a team that should have not even been sniffing the eight seed mm-hmm. if it not for Luca's talent, right? Like. If Andrew Wiggins is on Dallas, oh, they're a mess. They're in the high yeah. end lottery. So it's it's just, you know, that's why I just that's it always irritates me. And you you sense this because we've you've had me kind of like irked a few times <laughs> throughout the these uh, episodes when we talk about winning players and losing players because of that. That this is the perfect example of that. It's the same thing with Towns. When well, is Towns a winner or loser? Well, if you give Towns help, like yeah, if you're gonna give. Towns, Travion Graham, and you know mm-hmm. a bunch of other garbage, like end of bench players. He's not going to be a winner. Nope, nobody in the league is going to win with those guys. I mean, even Jokic, there was a, a you know a, a ceiling to what he could accomplish with all of his running mates off, not you know on the injury list. So it's just that yeah, Wiggins came up big in a game with a, on a team that's really good. You know if. If he doesn't come up big, nobody's talking about him at all. So you're not highlighting, to your point, because like when he doesn't come up big, it's not accentuated by the fact that the team got crushed. It's like D'Lo. Like D'Lo's getting crushed for not coming up big in more games during the playoffs because we really needed him to come up big, right? Yeah. But on the flip side, you know, for Wiggins, like he comes up big in a game which, how much did they need him? I mean, like it definitely, that dunk really made that game more, impressive yeah. probably than, yeah. like cause Steph was still the leading scorer for them. You know, he was still the straw that stirred the drink. So, um, you know, like, you know, like I said, I, I don't want to beat up on Wiggins cause it's not Wiggins' fault. It's just Wiggins is who Wiggins is. Like exactly. it's, just, it's, he's the to, same as he was when he was here and that hasn't changed to, to the Denny green. Yeah. He is thought he was. Yeah. <laughs> and Dallas let him off the hook. Yeah. We saw him score 27 points plenty of times. We just game winners. We've yep. seen him, you know, every time we played Cleveland, he crushed them. I mean, mm-hmm. he's just, he's got the talent to be that guy. 
he doesn't have the mentality to be that guy every night. It's just he's it's not important to him. He's not a psycho about basketball. He's not like you give him Kobe's brain. Andrew Wiggins is the best player in the NBA. Yeah. He's a more talented version. I'll I'll say that. He's a more talented version than Kobe Bryant. He's taller, he's longer, he's you know, a better leaper, mm-hmm. I would argue, even in Kobe's prime. He has the talent to who have been a better player than Kobe Bryant. He just doesn't have the Kobe Mamba mentality. Like, yeah, I, I think it was like, I think it was one of the Van Gundys. I think it was Stan who said Wiggins has the talent of a your a team's first best player, the skill of a team's second best player, and the drive and brains of a team's fourth best player. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. I hadn't heard that, but perfect. So we can move off of it. We only wanted to touch on that just to make sure, like, if you if you're getting into these conversations, if you're seeing the discourse on Sports Center or Twitter, or whatever it happens to be, that the Timberwolves are getting lambasted because of this trade, like. Just understand that it wouldn't have happened here, and that's not the franchise's fault. Like, we can move on. And yeah, it's a completely different front office, and maybe it wasn't a great trade. Maybe we shouldn't have included the pick. And we can go over and over the picks that were included in that as many times as you want. But trading D'Lo for Wiggins is not a a win or a loss by Minnesota by any means. So Yeah, like, look, I'm still more upset about what we gave up for Jimmy Butler Mm -hmm. than what we gave up for D'Angelo Russell. Right. If that puts any <laughs> into context. For me, I would have rather given up Wiggins straight up for Butler than Levine and and uh Dunn and, you know, what became Laurie Markinen. I would have rather had those guys than Jimmy Butler. Right. Long term. Yeah. 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 Even no, then, I, I just like, you know, what I mean, I know like Jimmy, like I don't argue the the uh the trade, but even at the time I was like, no, just give up Wiggins and keep the other guys. Like, well, we could yeah. still have Jimmy and have those guys. Yeah. Like, there wasn't an either or. It could have been Wiggins. That's that's what Chicago was asking. Yeah. So it's just that's where we should have bailed right. at that point. But right. All right, let's move on to our uh, competitive analysis. We're moving on to the Central Division, uh, staying in the Eastern Conference before we get a little bit closer to home. Uh, which means, starting at the bottom, we're going to the Detroit, Detroit Pistons, uh, a team that probably still needs a point guard, even though they invested a high pick in Killian Hayes a couple of years ago. They did get Cade Cunningham number one overall last year. He can play multiple positions, whether it's shooting guard, small forward, even some small ball power forward. But um, other than that, they've got Sadiq Bey, who played really well against Minnesota. I think he's a nice young player for them. Isaiah Stewart is a you know, real lunch pile type center for them. I, I like him as a player. I don't I don't know if he's a has the talent to be you know to be a playoff starting center, but I like him as a player. And then whatever they end up doing with Jeremy Grant long term, he's got one year left in his deal, um, is kind of, you know, what they're looking for. So, you know, looking at what they need, I would say it's probably shooters around Cade Cunningham. They don't really have any of that right now. Bay is, is a good, you know, a good wing for them, um, or a good combo forward. Um, and then you know, back up or starting small forward and center, you know, so depending on what they do with Jeremy Grant. So um, it's going to be interesting seeing what they move into this offseason. But what did you have when you, when you took a look at the Pistons, Chad? Well, I, I'm a big Sadiq Bay fan. I like him a lot as a player. I, there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces on Detroit I like. There's I don't you know, I like Cade more coming in than I do now. I still think he'll be a good player. I don't think he'll be as good as I maybe have thought you know, going into the draft. Um, so I, I, I agree with you that I think they need shooters um, in terms of like how it maybe fits with the wolves. I think the only guy that really makes sense is Jeremy Grant possibly, or mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't know what they're feeling. I don't got a good sense on how Detroit feels about Marvin Bagley, but that would be a guy that I would take another shot on, um, you know, he's still young. He's still got some upside, maybe a, a, a better situation for him would help him. Um, so, and we need it, you know, a power forward. He's still not like the guy that you kind of feel like has the girth or like the, the power at power forward. Like he's, he seems to rebound with his athleticism as we've talked about with like Vando and stuff as well. So he's not like the perfect prototype player, but looking at this roster, that would be a guy that I would, you know, sort of look at, and then yeah. Jeremy Grant, just depending on what we do with Torian Prince, you know, again, like we talked about last episode, so many of the moves that the Wolves make will be dependent on other moves that happen, have to happen first, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, that point, you know, those are, those are the two guys I could see being fits here. I mean, Kelly Olenek another guy that's been around a while that could be a third big, maybe on this team. He's just not 
as sexy as some of the other names. Yeah, he's not going to get you excited, but he's a no. guy. He is a guy who has killed the wolves in the past. So it's and he's killed yeah. a lot of teams. I mean, he's a he's a good, solid player. He's yeah. not going to like you don't want him starting or being like a big focal point on your team. Um, but as a role player, he's been a good role player for every team he's ever played on. Yeah. Like so, I you know he's he's a good, solid pro. Like. It's just also his age is a little bit older than our window. So yeah. you'd rather like, I'd rather take a shot on a younger guy that like, give me the younger version of Kelly Olenek versus this version. Um, but he's a guy that I would not be like bummed if we got him. I just, like you said, I wouldn't be excited either. You know, I think he would fill a need probably better than Bagley, but I would rather take the chance on Bagley's upside than, you know, what the sure thing of Olenek. Yeah. The challenge with Olenek and I have him in my, when we get to our trade ideas with this team, I have him in there too is, is that he would be a much better fit as that cat replacement in the second unit than Nas has been. He's he's a better outside shooter, and he has more skills with the ball. He's probably a better rebounder even. Um, the problem is that's a lot of money to invest in that position. You've already got cat there, and you're not going to optimally invest another $10 million in your backup center. You know, right. Nas doing what he does at $1.9 million is the right way to do it when you've got cat in his spot. You But... You also don't want the team to fall apart when your best player leaves the floor. So they've got to decide, you know, if they want to invest in that spot or if they really want to look at somebody who can play either the four or the five and play next to Cat when Cat is on the floor. So um, I have a feeling that's where they'd go. Um, Jeremy Grant, once again, doesn't necessarily fill that role because he can't play the power forward or the center position. Um, but and that would be an investment in the power forward spot, sliding Vando back to the to the second unit. Um, he's always going to be a guy that's. Uh, consideration since he's likely to be moved at some point he's only got a year left with Detroit and whether or not they choose to invest in him with their young core is TBD um but yeah and the only other thing that they really have I mean they have pick number five that's not going to come into play for Minnesota we're not going to offer anything that's going to move us that high up in the lottery but um they they could have up to 26 million in cap space this offseason um I don't necessarily know um if there are any players on the Timberwolves roster that you would move off of besides the ones that are already expiring next year, you know, you've got D'Lo, you have uh, Bev and Beasley, who could all ex- be expiring at the end of next year. So if you're really looking to optimize 2023 cap space, if there was somebody else on the roster that, yeah, we're there. I mean, so there's nobody else necessarily on the roster that you would say, you know what, if we could just unload this in a deal, that would help us a year from now. I wasn't able to identify anybody like that. So, no. um, so yeah, moving forward, if we wanted to make a deal with them, you know, you could do something like D'Lo for Grant and Olenek. Um, if you wanted to then find another way to invest in your your point guard spot, or you trusted, you know, McLaughlin and uh, Beverly to hold down that spot for a year, which seems very risky. Um, but if you're just looking to move off of D'Lo, get one year out of Grant, see how that power forward spot fares well, you know, f- plays out. And decide if you want to invest in him a year from now, give him another contract and get Olenek as a backup center. I don't, you know, I'm not, wouldn't bang down the door for that one. Wouldn't get me super excited. Um, Beasley for Grant, straight up doesn't quite work. Um, you could maybe add a sign and trade with Prince, you know, on top of that um, to try to get the money to match up a little bit. But they're not quite close enough for that one to work within the 125% rule. Um, if they're really looking to move shooting around and just add front court depth, you could do Beasley for Olenek. But I, I think that would be, I don't, I don't know if that's selling low on Beasley, buying high on Olenek, however you want to consider it. I just don't, I don't think there's a whole lot that matches up very well. No, I mean, I could, I could see the Beasley for Olenek if everything else you try to do this offseason fell down. Yeah. Um, and depending on what you got in the draft, like let's say you, in the draft, you got a wing player who is just a great three-point shooter. I don't know who that might be, but say that's what you got. Your need is a big, but that's what, you know, you, you, you drafted best player, not best need. And that's what you got. Then I could see, and then you try to move Beasley for different pieces and, and nothing really came to fruition. And you decided at the end of the summer, all right, well, let's just, let's move him for Olenek and at least shore up that. And now we have a more balanced roster, at least. I could see that happening. And I wouldn't be mad at that mm-hmm. then, knowing that they at least made an attempt. Um, but yeah, it's not super inspiring. Yeah, so let's move on to Indiana. Um, it's another team that's in a very similar position. They're only one pick behind Detroit in the draft. They're at number six. 
Uh, they're also going to have 26 or 24 million in cap space this upcoming offseason. Not that, once again, that would make much of a difference for the Timberwolves in terms of transaction ability, but um, they're coming in, you know, with, with Brogdon, Halliburton, and Turner probably set in starting spots. Uh, Buddy Heald is there on a large, large contract, but I don't think they would slide him into as a starting small forward. He seems more of a bench shooter, um, you know, shooting guard type spot type, type guy. And if they have both Brogdon and Halliburton on the roster still, he's going to be behind both of them. Um, they really need a for, you know forwards at either spot, either small forward or power forward. They're losing TJ Warren this year. Not that he played much this last season due to his injuries. Um, Ricky Rubio's a, a free agent, you know, leaving their team. Another guy that we've talked about just for the nostalgia region, reasons of wanting to be a free agent target. Not that I think it's realistic. Um, but yeah, they they need forwards. Whether or not Minnesota has anything to offer in that spot is is uh, iffy at best. Yeah, I, and I don't mind uh, O'Shea Brissett for them, but I don't know that he's a starter. Mm-hmm. I think he's a role player for them, um, but he is a forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than the guys that you noted, um, I mean, honestly, I'm still scratching my head over the trade for both of them. Like if between them and Sacramento, when they when they got Halliburton, I think that was a coup to get Halliburton. I think he was the better player of the two in that trade. But you already had Brogdon there. Uh, it just to your point, they need forwards, they need bigs, and they gave up one of the better bigs in the league to get a guy. And that might have been just one of those situations where it was an opportunity they couldn't pass up. You yep. know that, that Halliburton is a potential future star, um, and you you know you're in a rebuild anyway, so maybe that's why. But you know then there's still rumors of them shopping Turner, so it's like kind of a head scratcher what their plan is, but. Um, I guess we'll have to kind of wait and see and see who they might target this summer in free agency or um, it, via trades. Yeah, or in ha- the draft. having moved to Halliburton, it just it seems like a roster that is ripe for a rebuild. Yeah, you know, with Warren moving on, and I can't like Brogdon's getting up there in age, and yeah, they the comments, the public comments are that they like Turner, and now that Sabonis has moved on, they're the price has gone up on Turner and they're going to build around him. You know, he's not old. He's still young, you know, for the same reasons that we would be interested in him. They're going to be interested in him too. He's a valuable player, but they're going to have to re-sign him in a year. So, you know, I don't know what their long-term cap flexibility is going to look like if they give him, you know, the deal that he's going to be looking for. So I, I don't know if anything matches up with Minnesota. I don't, I don't want Buddy Heald. I, I'm hesitant to pay Malik Beasley 15 and a half million. I don't want to pay him another, you know, 8 million a year, you know, in the, in the form of, Buddy Heald to have a different shooter that comes off the bench. So that doesn't quite make sense for Minnesota. And unless you can figure out a, a trade for Turner that doesn't include Jaden, you know, I don't know exactly what else there would be out there. You know, you could do Beasley and Nas and that works money wise, but how many picks would you have to throw in for Indiana to even consider that? Yeah. I, it just depends on what, what their plan is. And I think that's the puzzling thing. I don't, I, you know, you know, my stance on Jaden, I wouldn't trade Jaden Turner straight up, let alone adding other salaries or picks there. Um, one other guy on their roster I kind of like, and maybe I liked him in the draft. I haven't seen him play much since he's been drafted, mm-hmm. but maybe is a type of guy that Conley Conley has been able to identify in the past. And I don't, I have no idea what his thoughts are on this guy, obviously, but would be Jalen Smith. That might be a, a power forward type guy that can maybe he's again not a real big guy, like I mean he's tall, but he's like a you know thin guy, kind of not. Jaden McDaniels thin, but he's more that mold than he is, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. or something like that. So if that, that would be something I would be excited about because it would be in the same way when, when the Wolves traded for Vanderbilt, who was another guy I liked, I was like, Oh, can't believe we got Van. I'm surprised they're giving up on him already. I would be like that with Jalen Smith. He's a guy where I'm like, Oh, I just don't think he's had a role there because they had two good bigs up until the trade. I don't know if he got any more minutes. I haven't really looked to see what his stats were after the Halliburton trade to see if he even played much. Um, but he's a guy that if we, you know, he wouldn't cost us much to get him. So if we gave up, you know, one of our end of bench guys for him and is just like a change of scenery type of move, mm-hmm. that could be an intriguing piece for me. Yeah. It's also interesting since Indiana was supposed to be his change of scenery type of move. You know, he, True. Got a couple of years in Phoenix, and then Indiana was a team. They declined his off his options, so he should be an unrestricted free agent this year. But Indiana decided to bring in for bring him in for a year. Didn't play a huge role, like you said, but there's. I, I guess it depends on you know 
what Connolly's philosophy is. If it was Rosas, I'd say he'd definitely take a swing because you always just bet on talent. You know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, we don't know if Connolly's going to be a measurements guy or if he's going to be an experienced guy or whatever that happens to be. I, like I said earlier, you could go through his whole uh, basketball reference list and, and probably start to figure some of that out, you know, whether well, or not. Yeah, I, the... I mean, I kind of started to do that with Connolly a little bit, to be honest. And kind of what I see of Connolly is he's like a Rosas, but he's like, He's looking at the onion. He he's a couple more layers deep on the onion, right? Okay. Like, I think Rosas is a talent guy. To your, I, I agree with that. But I I do think Rosas has got an eye for that talent too. So it's not like it's obvious talent to like mm-hmm. the fans. It's not like he's just taking the number one pick guys and stuff. He is, you know, like a Nas Reed. Like you know, that was a good find, or or Jalen Noel, or you know, those are good talent things that nobody else was really clamoring to get, right? I think Conley is even a couple layers deeper than that. And, you know, like the Bones Nyland, kind of some of those types of finds that he's made are pretty astute, I think. And and I think what he sees, he'll look at their skill set when they're playing, not what the role they're playing. And I, I don't know that Rosas has got the basketball yeah. um, background to do what, what Conley does. I think Conley, from reading his bio, is a, grew up in a basketball family. Everybody in his family's got a job in basketball. So that's all I do. Like, And so I think he has the ability to see, to find more diamonds in the rough. Um, and I think Rosas finds guys that are, were diamonds before, but are a little bit dirty yeah. for whatever reason, right. you know, they, and, um, and Jalen Smith would fall into that. I get that. Cause he was a high pick. I don't, you know, I think he was a lottery pick. Um, but I, so I'm not making that this case for my, Mm-hmm. guy that I was mm-hmm. interested in just saying that I think Conley there'll be names that would be like okay I don't know much about that guy I remember seeing him play but that Conley might bring in this year and then we'll be like become fan favorites in a hurry because I just I think he has a, a knack for finding the quality players yeah so well, another Indiana another, another team that unless, unless the qualifiers we have with everybody is un, unless there are other moves that open up different positions or create depth elsewhere don't seem like a, a natural match right now um, brings us to Cleveland, the Cleveland Cavaliers. They had a, a very successful season, a very, they outperformed expectations very similarly to Minnesota. Injuries kind of derailed, you know, what started out really well over there. You know, they had Ricky Rubio to start. He lost, he tore his ACL, so they lost him as a primary bench player. Um, carrot, or not Kersler. Uh, they had, um, Colin Sexton, who got her injured very early on, and then so they kind of lost him, so he was lost for the season, and they left him very thin in the backcourt. They had to trade, for Karis Levert to try to just get a little any type of perimeter scoring they could find, um, because you know they they have Darius Garland who was a first time All Star. I think he's you know out of everybody is one of their long term you know players into the future with Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley, you know, so I'd say those two are the the one A building blocks. Jared Allen, I'd say, is close behind them because even though he's a little bit older, he's been with a couple of franchises already. He's proven to be super super valuable, super successful there. Um, I'd say there are a bunch of other players and around that who are good players who might not necessarily be long-term pieces. I, you know, Kevin Love turned his opinion around, turned his attitude around once they started winning this year. He kind of embraced that bench role. Laurie Markkinen is an unnatural fit at small forward, even though they made it made it work. So while both of them, like, they have four big men there who all need playing time, all need minutes, and it's going to require, you know, J.B. Bickerstaff to be very creative in how he uses them. And he did it very successfully. He did it very well. I wouldn't say they need to change anything just to change it. Um, they just, those two guys aren't at the same level as Mobley, Allen, and Garland long-term in their plans. So, sure. Um, you know, I'd, I'd say they probably need, I don't know, they need a, something different in the in their backcourt. You know, whether that's just a backup point guard for when Garland's out or somebody to replace a Coro or Levert long term maybe they like those two guys and they think that they've got a really strong shooting guard in a rotation um it's just there aren't a ton of needs you know but they have some tools to figure it out you know they've got Colin Sexton as a restricted free agent so whether it's a sign and trade with him to get in a different piece that works better you know like I said they could move Love, Markinen, or Levert you know this offseason to to mix things up and then you know a guy that you know kind of looked nice especially when they were the rest of their backcourt was injured was Brandon Goodwin. He played well against Minnesota. I kind of liked him as a player. He's a restricted free agent this year. So, um, so I don't know. I, I, there's a, some you could do 
Uh, you know, something you could do with some of their front court depth if Minnesota's really looking for that. And, you know, we've got some backup guards. Uh, it just depends on whether or not they're looking for shooting, you know, what, what type of player they're looking for. Uh, I, I, Cleveland's one of those teams I'm a big fan of. I just like their roster a lot. There's so many pieces on there. As I think Darius Garland's a budding superstar. I love Darius Garland as a player. Um, you know, I'm a, mm-hmm. I've kind of become a card collector over the last nine, ten months. And Garland's one of the guys I'm buying heavy on right now because I think he's set for a breakout. Um, I'm also a huge Evan Mobley fan. I thought he was the best rookie in this class. And until he got hurt, I thought he was going to run away with rookie of the year. Um, so I love those two as their building blocks. I think from things I've read about Cleveland, they're also high on Sexton. So I don't think they see him as a guy to move. But they see him as a guy that's part of their core, which I find interesting. Uh, but it does kind of work to your point about what the job J.B. Bickerstaff's done with the – they essentially have, you know, Flip Saunders is 21 feet of fun. They have yeah. three near seven-foot guys on the starting lineup, which is something else that I'm a huge fan of trying <laughs> is having bigger – going bigger when every other team is going smaller. Um, it's, yeah, are there pieces I'd want for the, the Wolves? There is. But there's also part of me as I don't want that team to be messed up because I kind of want to keep what I want them to be my my like dark horse team on the east that yeah. I can watch and yeah. enjoy. Um, I, one guy I would throw out again and another guy towards the end of the bench, a guy, another guy I like is Moses Brown. Um, I liked him at OKC. Um, you might remember because I had him on my fantasy draft <laughs> uh, roster because he was a guy I, I well, one, I picked him up for the playoff run just because he was going to get minutes in OKC because they had nothing there last year um this year you know a little bit different situation for him but he he is a guy that i think has some some skills as like a rim protector for the wolves um as a third big kind of thing again kind of like the olenic it's i like him as a potential better than olenic just because he's so much younger yeah and that and he's so much cheaper so i like him for, for that standpoint um i'm not saying that he's going to be a star or even ever be a starter i just he's a piece that I think could help the wolves in areas of need. Yeah. To your, to our previous conversation, he's your Aaron holiday. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and this is going to be the big one. This is number four out of five, you know, we'll get to the Milwaukee bucks at the end, you know, it's another championship contender. And like our conversation on Miami, there's not going to be a whole lot we can do there since they are, they have, they're built to win now. They're not going to have a lot of movable pieces, but you know, like I said, the big one here is, uh, the Chicago Bulls and what their offseason is going to look like because they did try to go all in last season to make a winner, make a contender, and they did it in a way where they just spend, 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 and bring in as many pieces no matter what, no matter the fit, you know, just try to go, you know, bring in Vucevic, bring in DeRozan, bring in Lonzo Ball, bring in Alex Caruso. You know, there's they just tried to take all of the cap flexibility they had, fill it with as many players as they could. And there were times this year where it worked out really well that Earlier in the season, you know, they were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference because their defense was playing really well. Ball and Caruso then both got hurt and they didn't have any defense left. You know, no matter what DeRozan did offensively, he couldn't carry them to even a top four seed in the East. They end up going out fairly quickly in the in the first round of the playoffs against Milwaukee. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if they'll necessarily want to run the whole thing back next year. But even if they want to, it might not be up to them because our our good friend Zach Levine is an under, unrestricted free agent heading into the off season, and uh, he's a guy that we've definitely talked about before. You know, just between the two of us, a little bit even on the podcast before about trying to target. Um, we can get into the the challenges and the trickiness of that due to base your compensation rules but uh just before we, we dive into what the, that would actually look like uh, any more thoughts on their roster as it stands there's guys i like i you know i'm a big lonzo ball fan as well um but i don't see anybody else on their roster at an area of need that would be gettable like i think patrick williams would be an interesting piece here they're never going to give up patrick no williams. right um so i yeah i don't think there's anybody worth discussing outside of Levine because that's about the only guy that's in play and not even to your point to, because of their choice you know it's just his contract's up so yeah I mean the other players if you want to look through the rest of the roster they have Kobe White who was drafted you know right after we took uh what's Culver. his name Culver. Culver yep Culver at number six a couple of years ago uh, a guy that we everybody thought we would take once Garland went you know ahead of us um, tried to fill up that point guard spot he's been okay he's been up and down I wouldn't say they they're tied to him long term uh, Tony Bradley is another big body if you're looking for 
just a backup center. Uh, Troy Brown Jr. is a guy that in Washington a couple years ago flashed some signs. Um, I don't think he's kept up that same level of potential, the same level of performance. Though it would make you think that he's still a, you know, there's a lot of potential there as a building block. Uh, Derek Jones Jr. was another guy that we kind of clam- that a lot of people clamored for as a a small ball power forward, you know, when he was a free agent a couple years ago. Um, he's going to be a, re- a free agent again. And then they have pick number 18, which is just one spot ahead of us. So um, some some pieces there, um, not necessarily anything that's going to jump off the page at you, but in terms of guys that either could be available or are free agents this offseason, just a few names to remember. So that brings us to trade ideas for the Chicago Bulls and the Minnesota Timberwolves. And the problem, no matter how many times we want to bring up Zach Levine as a trade possibility or as a acquirable player for the team, is that he has a weird thing about his contract heading into this offseason, and it's called a base year compensation rule, and that a team can't trade a player on a sign-in trade for what they are signing for if there's a big discrepancy between what they had been paid the previous year and being paid the following year. So let me explain a little bit better. Levine made $19.5 million last year in the final year of his contract, and if he signs a maximum contract this upcoming year, he's going to be signing to a starting salary of $36.6 million, which is over a $17 million difference. So if he were to be traded in a sign-in trade and get that contract from Chicago and then come here from Minnesota, you'd think, well, that lines up almost perfectly with D'Lo. Let's just do a one-for-one and get that done, except... Levine would only count as $19.5 million out for Chicago, and under the rule where you can only take back 125% of whatever you're trading out, that means they could only take back about $25 million in salary. So D'Lo is over what they are allowed to take back for Levine, no matter how much he signs for in this upcoming season. But he still counts as $36.6 million coming in for Minnesota, which means that we can only trade out. We, like, we would have to trade as much as D'Lo in order to acquire him. So it's it's a really weird, complicated rule, and it makes it difficult to to put a trade together. So complicated, in fact, that the the closest thing I could find in working through the trade machine was D'Lo and Beasley for Levine, Caruso, White, and Tony Bradley. Like it's just you have to put so many players into into a deal to resolve this issue. And yeah, picks are probably being thrown around at that point because Caruso and White are young are young players for them, players that they want to keep building around, and it's just it's a weird combination. So. I think it's something worth considering, something worth having the conversation about, but it's just not as easy as it should be to talk about doing a sign and trade for Zach Levine. Yeah, not only that, I mean, that crushes your salary cap. You're like in the luxury tax, likely, right? Because you're bringing back $36 million. Let's just, just, just on the Levine. Yeah. You're bringing back, you know, $17 million more than what you're sending out for that player. So like the other salaries they get are to make the numbers work, but mm-hmm. you got to get it as close as you can. So let me plug it in here really quick. I'm going to bring up Minnesota. I'm going to bring up Chicago on the other side. And we are trading out D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley, which is a combined 46.9 million. Coming the other way is Zach Levine. Uh, who else did we have? We had Caruso. Caruso. White. We had Kobe White. And we had Tony Bradley. So if we bump Zach Levine from 29.2 up to 36.6, uh, 45.6, 52 point, 53, so 50, $55 So we're taking in uh, $8 million more than we're trading out in that deal. So, okay. so not quite as bad as I thought, but still, like, it, you know that's problematic. Then yep. there, then it's. I mean, I, you know, I would love to have Levine back here, and I would figure out a way to make it work. At the same time, as I keep saying, I, the last thing I want is another ball dominant guy, and uh, like I know he takes Delo's spot, but he's going to be a guy that's going to want more shots than what Delo took last year, mm-hmm. um, which becomes problematic for like, how do you work that in with your two best players being Ant and Kerr, which who I still think. I mean, Levine and Ant are pretty close for me right now, probably in terms of where they're at or where they will be next year. Um, it's in terms of like a, where I'd want them at a 50-50 split probably in, in how many shots they got. Right. But you want Ant to get a little more of that because you expect him to be the the main guy going forward. Yeah, the team can um, go as far as he goes, so you want to spoon feed him at this point. Yeah, so it's just, it's just tricky, like, from the salary to the fit to everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I mean, he's 
We love Zach Levine. And as we talked about earlier in the episode, we would have loved it if the Timberwolves would have traded away Wiggins instead of Levine when getting Butler in the first place and he was still around. But like you said, the problems are with fit, not necessarily that he would, there aren't shots to go around, but that he's not, even in the moments that D'Lo chose to be a point guard, he's still a better distributor than than Zach Levine is. He wouldn't be the one setting up the offense. And ultimately, I mean, I think Zach Lowe uses the term uh, alpha predator wings, which is kind of something that, uh, you know, the championship team, the the best of the best have had over the past decade or so, whether it's LeBron or the Kevin Durant or the Giannis Antetokounmpo, you know, they always had, or the Kawhi Leonard for Toronto, it's it's a guy who can use his size, who can create mismatches. And the Wolves, like, if you bump Ant down to the two, he's able to create mismatches there, but he's really the only player on the Wolves who is even in that conversation. Cat has a hard time creating mismatches just because of his size. D'Lo doesn't do it, and we don't have any wings that have both the size and the ball handling ability to really create a mismatch. So if we're going to be trading away D'Lo for that quote-unquote third star and not for role players or other people around Cat and Ant, you'd really want to bring in somebody, you know, at one of those forward positions next to Jaden who can be a a primary scorer or a third option there, you know, rather than just somebody who's going to be a slight, you know, long-range shooter, you know, as much as Levine is a high-flying player. He's not going to create you, uh, you a physical mismatch that you can take advantage of in the playoffs. No, I mean, in the closing moments, like, you know, you look at all the games against Memphis. Yeah. It would have been awesome to have Levine, Cat, and Ant instead of, you know, Cat, mm-hmm. D'Lo, and, and Be- uh, Beverly, and Ant. Um, I, like, I think that that's – how hard is that to defend? You have – both Levine, well, all three of them, Levine, Ant, and Cat can all hit the three. Ant and Levine are going to beat almost everybody off the dribble. Yep. Cat's going to beat almost everybody that they put on him off the dribble. Um, it's just, it's a nightmare to guard. Um, yeah, you're using, your advantage then is your speed as a team. And then in the half court, you really have to just, you know, live with one-on-one iso ball. Yeah, so and which is what it was coming down to for us in those closing moments. What I don't like as much is the other, you know, forty minutes a game right. um, over the course <laughs> of eighty eighty two game season. It, it just becomes a little bit of a traffic jam. I think um, I just I'd want a little bit more of a well rounded guy who's less uh, dependent on getting a bunch of shots up, you know, in order to add value to the team. Yeah, so I mean, if that was the only option this off season, and they really wanted to pursue it, and they went with the, the trade that I outlined would I have a problem with it no but if I were in Tim Connolly's shoes and I were trying to put together the ultimate uh, path forward for this roster and what I would like to see it look like long term I feel like that's probably skipping a step or two and you would waiting is probably better than just pulling the trigger on whatever that happens to be agreed all right, so finally, that brings us to the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, last year's champions, they got knocked out in the second round this year, mostly because of Chris Middleton's injury. Uh, they still have Drew Holiday and Middleton and Antetokounmpo. That should be easier for me to say after the, so long of uh, him being in the mainstream. But uh, I still can't say it. I just still say Giannis. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, they've got Bobby Portis, who we talked about in a previous episode. as a, He has a player option this year. Would not be surprising for me to see him turn down the player option, but I guess it would be surprising for me to see him leave Milwaukee, um, especially with the state that they're in with Brooke Lopez. He kind of seems like he's nearing the end of his run. He's looking old, um, so Portis might have a path to more playing time there. Um, I don't know exactly what the, what they would offer him to keep around. I don't know if they are super close to the luxury tax. I'm sure they are with how much they're paying everybody, but... Um, they're a championship-built team. It's hard to see them really trading anything of tremendous value. You know, you've got Grayson Allen, who is kind of exposed uh, in the playoffs against Boston. You have George Hill, who's up there in age now. And like I said, Brooke Lopez, I suppose if you really wanted to have a second center behind Cat who could allow you to play drop against certain teams, you could make a run at Brooke Lopez to fill that, that spot. But um, nothing that really jumps out at you in terms of Let's make a deal with the Milwaukee Bucks. No, I mean, Portis was the one guy that I liked. Um, but like you said, I think they bring him back. I mean, you know, look, I don't know that he's going to get more minutes per se because Brooke Lopez was out most of the season this year. So he, you know, got the minutes he was going to get anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's of their core. 
I mean, he's the youngest guy of their core outside of Giannis because Ibaka's 32, not that he's really part of the whole core, but Drew Holiday's 31, um, you know, Middleton's in his 30s or early 30s. And like, so they're they're getting older, and so Portis is one of the only guys that plays major minutes that isn't already on the wrong side of 30. So Yeah. So, I mean, his... His scenario will be worth watching this offseason, whether there's a team that's willing to offer him more than the mid-level. I'm sure he'll turn down the player option and sign for a multi-year deal, whether that's still at the mid-level or not. If it's 3 for 30, that's better than 1 for 10. Um, So whether or not that interests the Timberwolves, we'll see. But uh, that concludes the Central Division in the Eastern Conference and our competitive analysis here. So we're going to Wrap it up here. We'll be back for our next episode looking at the Atlantic Division. We uh, will close out the Eastern Conference and we'll take a look at the Knicks, the Nets, the Raptors, the 76ers, and the Boston Celtics. Chad, any uh, preview thoughts for that? Any team that you're especially excited for? Like Boston's got a bunch of guys I like. They always do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Knicks have a couple guys I like. You know, I've talked about it in previous episodes about Noel, Nerland Noel that I, I really like. The idea of adding him here just as a rim protector. Yeah. Um, Toronto's got a guy or two that I like. I don't really know that Philly or Brooklyn has anybody that makes sense for us, but I guess we'll we'll figure it out when we do the deep dive. We will find out. All right, buddy. It's good talking to you. Yeah, you as well. Take care. See ya. <laughs>